Thank you, Jesus. I love the Word of God. I tell you, the Word is exciting. The Bible calls itself sharper than any two-edged sword. It's uh, quickening. I'm telling you, it's, uh, it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It's a, it's a powerful tool. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible and I see stuff in there I've never seen before, it just totally gladdens my heart. It just excites me. It does. And uh, I, I, love, I love Bible study, and I love uh, teaching, and love exploring, and uh, uh, love, love, love when we get together around his word. Amen. Well, why are you still standing? Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. We're continuing our study on the Ten Commandments, and uh, we are on commandment number two. Last week, we looked at commandment number one. That was, thou shalt have no other God before me. And tonight, we will pick up where we left off. And uh, after God commands Israel, thou shalt have no other gods before me, he says this, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath. Or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I the Lord thy God am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children. Under the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. But as in truth to Jewish parallel verse 6. And showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me. And keep my commandments, verse 4 through 6. It has to do with not making any graven image or any likeness of anything that's in the earth, heavens, under the earth. When it says under the uh, water, under the earth, it's not talking about the water that's located under the ocean. It's talking about below the shoreline, okay? <laughs> Hallelujah. There's the shoreline and, you know, all the depth that goes into the lakes, waters, you know, of all sorts throughout the earth. Amen. So we're going to focus on uh, uh, our, uh, the second commandment tonight on the title of this lesson, No Idols and the Such Like. Praise God. Let's pray one more time. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your commandments. We thank you for this word that indeed is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. What a great, great book you have given us, O oh Lord. Thank you for it. We worship you for it, Lord, and we praise your name. And, Lord, I pray that you anoint this, this vessel, Lord, in your hand. Anoint this preacher, Lord, on my tongue, my mind, and I pray that you would anoint the minds and the hearts of each and every hearer, open our ears and, and our understanding that we may somehow be strengthened by it. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And let the church say amen with me. Amen. amen. Praise God. God bless you. You may be seated. Thanks again for standing and being here in the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. We are studying the Ten Commandments, and uh, our objective is to get a better understanding of all of these commandments and learning how to obey them better and how to obey them in uh, the process of our sanctification. Amen. It's important to know the commandments in the process of sanctification that God began in us the day that we were born again of the water and of the Spirit. 
One way we can summarize the Ten Commandments in a simplistic way is to say that the commandments is really what put Jesus on the cross. Because define sin. It's the commandments that put Jesus on the cross. And the commandments are what brings sinners to the cross. And the commandments are really what keeps Christians at the cross. Because in this constant process of sanctification, as we see the definition of sins and the wishes and, and the heart of God of the Ten Commandments, we, we can judge ourselves according to His will and His way, and we can make the necessary changes in us by way of repentance and then by empowerment by the Spirit of Almighty God to do the right thing. Can you say praise the Lord? As you know, there's only one true God who is sovereign and Lord of the universe. By the way, I hope you have a pen to fill some of these. You got them? Hallelujah. Thank you. The pen is mightier than the sword. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And uh, so if, if you don't have a pen, maybe you could put your hand up. Maybe somebody can give you a pen. Praise the Lord. And those are fill in the blanks. And you will hear the answers to all of those statements that I have in your handouts. It's something to take with you tonight and, and to help you follow along. Praise God. But again, there's only one true God, and he is the sovereign and Lord of the universe. Therefore, we are to worship him and only him, and that's the essence of commandment one. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. We mentioned that it doesn't mean that you can have others and as long as God is number one. No, uh, no other gods, just one, and that's him because the other gods aren't God. He's the only God and God alone. Amen. And now when we look at uh, God as the Lord of heaven and earth and as the creator of the universe, we see how he's concerned about how people worship him, how people worship him. And this is the concern of the second commandment that we're looking at tonight, the worship of God by man. That's what this commandment addresses. And every person that we look around throughout the world, uh, every person on the face of the earth worships something. And I don't mean basically everyone falls down before an idol, but as you'll see that there are other idols besides those graven and and. and Images and statues and the likeness of certain things. There's other things that can be idols, but everyone on the face of the earth worships something. But the great tragedy is that most people worship falsely. They worship something that is not a God, something that can't save them, something that can't deliver them, something that can't heal them, something that cannot touch them. A man wants to touch God. And what they think is God, but none of them can touch us. It's a great tragedy. And so people worship false gods and they worship falsely. And they also worship something other than the only true God, a true and living God. And they worship false gods. Now, false gods are created by the imagination of people. False gods are made of wood, stone, metal, gold, silver, into an image. And notice when we use the word imagination, when I said false gods are created by the imagination of man, 
the root of that is image. It's image, and that's what idols are. They're someone's imagination. But there are, there are other false gods like self and money and pleasure and houses and lands and possessions. False gods of state and government. Government and leaders that purport to provide everything that you and I need except what you and I need the most, and that's salvation. Government is not the answer to all of our problems. They cannot answer our spiritual needs. They cannot answer our need for eternal life. And they cannot answer the needs of our human heart. They cannot have a remedy for the heart. No doctor can. No government can. But sometimes they act like they can. They, they act like they are God. That's what autocracy is all about. Look around the world and we got them in many countries. They worship those governmental leaders and their word is law. They act like sovereign gods, which they are not. But they are false gods and some people worship them. You've heard of personality cults. That's what I'm talking about. It's a personality cult. It's really a, a worship of a false god. Somebody who's a state leader, a government that purports to be able to provide everything that we need, and yet they really can't. And in fact, if you look at Revelation 17, 18, 19, that's what the judgment is all about, it's the, on, at least in those chapters, focusing on, on false government, false church, amen, and false gods. Things that make a lot of promises that they can't deliver. But false gods worshipped by man are innumerable. I mean, there are thousands of gods, even today in the 21st century. And every person, as we say, uh, who is longing and seeking after God, they have an image of what the supreme authority of the universe is. An image of the supreme being in the universe is, is, is something nebulous, something that they can't really put their, their finger on and they can't really come up with the right idea, but they know that, that something is out there, something exists it's an image to which he should give or dedicate his life to. And so when you consider that, uh, you, can consi you can see where, where other things can become gods. Careers, for example. A business that consumes them. Uh, and many other things, but I'll get to that later. So to what should we give our lives to, particularly as Christians? And that's important. What or who should we be worshiping? How should we be worshiping? And we see that the demand of the second commandment is that we give our lives to the one and only true living God and that we worship him alone. Note what worship is. It's, it's the heart of man reaching out to God and it's the giving of one's heart to God in praise and thanksgiving and service and witness. That's serving God. Hallelujah. He called us to be witnesses. Then Jesus say as he commanded disciples to go back to Jerusalem and wait until they be endued with power from on high. And he said, and ye shall be my witnesses. Amen. And that's part of our work and worship as we in yielded obedience follow after Jesus Christ. And so when we look at this commandment, we see that, uh, that there's a prohibition in this command and consequences that God requires regarding worship. And we see that this commandment addresses 
the mode of worship, not so much the object of worship. We already established what the object is. The object is the one true living God and, and Him alone. But now it's the mode. It's how we worship God. That's what God wants to address in this particular command. In verse 4 of Exodus 20, we read, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. I'm reading from the English Standard Version translation. Amen. But note that this command begins uh, God's address by saying, You, you shall not make. Turn to the neighbor and say, this is for you. Now, when God's speaking that, he's addressing this to every one of us individually. You shall not make any graven image. You shall not bow down to them. You shall not make anything of likeness that you think is like me. God addresses it directly to you. It, just, uh, it doesn't just say uh, that we are not to kneel or to pray to an idol, but actually says that we're not even supposed to make that thing to begin with. I mean, once you make it, then you can talk about praying to it, kneeling to it, offering sacrifices to it, establishing priesthood, uh, establishing your own set of rituals and things like that. But he says right from the beginning, don't make one. Hallelujah. An idol is a man-made object that represents what man thinks or imagines that God is like. A likeness is, is that object that, that you find in nature which represents God. That's what men usually do, people. Establishing an idol in, in, in the likeness of some creature. And they say that that is our God. Well, look at the golden calf, a calf. Goodness sakes, a calf. Hallelujah, made by man's own hand. And so, anyway, Dagon was a fish god. You heard about him. Remember when uh, the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant and, and they took it to their uh, the temple, the temple of Dagon, and, and he was a fish god. That's made in the image of what they thought God was like, and it was an image of a fish with man's body, I think it was. Hallelujah. Verse 5 said, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those that hate me. Notice there's nothing in there about if you hate me. But it's very plain. Remember Jesus in the New Testament taught that no man can serve two masters? He will either love the one and hate the other. So if you have idols of any kind in your life, then really, and if, it's, if, if God is, is not your supreme, sovereign God alone that you worship and make him number one, you're really a hater of God. At least he looks at it that way. Hallelujah. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't save two, serve two masters. You will hate the one or love the other. 
But he says in this, let me read this again so we don't forget the essence of this verse. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those that hate me. See, this command prohibits creating or making any kind of an object for the purposes of worship or for serving them in any form of obedience. It prohibits you and I giving any kind of offerings to it or praying to it or exhibiting some kind of devotion or or trust in these man-made objects that supposedly represent God. And so we come to the worship of Mary or the saints as represented by pictures or statues we see really is a form of idolatry. Now, I know this might be offensive to some people, but look, the Ten Commandments are clear. When you use an intermediate object and use a mediator other than Jesus Christ, for the Bible says there's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There is no other mediator. And if you're praying to St. Christopher, you're praying to Mary, or you're praying to, to St. Jude, or you some other saint that some man canonized and declared to be a, a saint more holy than anybody else, who, who if you pray to them, then they will intercede and, and act as an intermediary for you, and they'll get your prayers answered, is idolatry. It's contrary to the Word of God. It is false worship. So that's why I said I know this might be offensive to some, but the truth is the truth. And Jesus exhorts us to worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. And we want to worship God in truth. This is why it's all, it's so important. This is why the Bible study is so important. The word of God. Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. He said, thy word is truth. John 17, 17. Important. We have to make sure always that our faith in God is in alignment with his written word. That's why Bible study is so important. And hiding the word in the heart that we may not sin against him. So we got to be diligent. We have to do due diligence in the word of God. And give it the due time that it deserves. Amen. And so we are uh, not to worship statues or pictures, icons or things like that. And we're not to serve these idols. Either as a priest or as a disciple or, or going there to temples and shrines. Hallelujah. A lot of people that use these things say, well, you know, I, I really don't worship the statue, but rather it's, it's, it's I'm worshiping what this statue represents. But the second commandment, if you read it, it's very clear that we must never use a statue or an image in worshiping God. And so I want to dwell on this subject for a moment. I want to expand upon this just a little bit more. Uh, you know, most often men make idols for themselves because they find it difficult to worship an invisible God. Now, I'm talking mostly here about, about the carnal man, that the unregenerated man who really doesn't know who God is, that he's a spirit, 
They've not had much exposure to the word of God. You, you go to foreign countries that have not had Christianity as uh, the foundation of their, of their culture and their society. Uh, they, they don't have this concept of God that you and I have, uh, of who God is, God coming in flesh in the face of Jesus Christ. But men in, in general uh, who, who don't know God, they find it difficult to connect with a God they can't see. And I think it's plausible to say that, that many people, or I, much of our idolatry began uh, to address this issue. It's, it's man's attempt to, to, to formulate a vision of God, of, of, of one who they can see, one who they can feel. One, and this is the problem, it, it, it one God, an idol that they, a God that they imagine, which, which, which can be, how should I say, realized by that worshiper through their senses. I can see it. I want to I touch it. And that's why I said it, they, they attempt to do that, but the, the problem is that these things can't touch them. Hallelujah. And so, so the real problem is, this, is that when they begin this way, eventually they begin to worship the thing instead of God himself. They may make an image to his likeness, what they think is like him, but it ends up being a worship of the thing rather than the God that he thinks it represents. So this commandment strikes against that desire in man to, to bring some sort of material aids to the worshiping of God and some things that can be perceived by his senses. And as mentioned, this a fallen, unregenerated man is, is carnal, not spiritual, and, and he is therefore seeking to connect with a God that is on his level of substance and carnality. But the truth is that God is invisible. He's incorporeal. He doesn't have a body. Jesus said a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones. Amen. Uh, God is a spirit, as Jesus said, and that worship and must worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen. Even Jesus' body is a resurrected body. It's a glorified body. It is not flesh and blood. Hallelujah. As you and I know it, he has no more blood in that body. And you and I won't have blood in our body once we get to heaven. It'll be glorified. It'll be just like his, but it is not an earthly, fleshly body. It is a spirit body. And so... You and I don't have a problem. This is fascinating when I thought about this. Uh, you and I don't have a problem connecting with an invisible God. When the word of God was preached to you and I and, and God opened our eyes and opened our understanding, we were able to see the invisible. Our eyes began to see God as a spirit. And we may not see him literally as you and I see each other, but we see his effects. We, we know he exists and we felt his presence, his touch upon us. We felt that no other false God could do. Amen. That is to touch us, fill us with his spirit. Hallelujah. And fill us with his power and, and give us that, that, that ability to change from, from our chaotic, dark, and, and sinful ways into a new life. Hallelujah. A God that can speak into us and, and pour his spirit into us and give us joy and peace and hope, amen, and salvation and deliverance, amen. He is a God. He's a spirit. He's not like an idol. And we're not, we're not, we come to church, we don't look to see God at anything, right? We don't, 
look to find him in the pulpit or in the chairs or anything on the wall. We don't need a, a, a carnal aid to connect with him because we walk by faith and not by sight. Hallelujah. And a spirit-filled, newborn again, regenerated person understands that. And that's the way God wants us to worship him. Because after all, you try to make an idol. How are you going to make an idol? Some kind of image that represents him. How are you going to take a picture of him? And even what you take, even whatever he, let's say he manifests himself in, in, in a theophany, in a, in, a, in a way that he looks like a person, and you take a picture, he allows you to take a picture of him. You think that's all there is to God? You automatically limit him to that manifestation. And, and the problem is, and I understand the problem in just in making an image and, and, and just valuing that. Eventually, we make a God out of that. I mean, even though it might be God himself. But the point is, it's not all of God. God is everywhere. He's unlimited. He's omnipotent, all-powerful. Hallelujah. And so how are you going to put God in a box? No idol can do that. Nothing, no, no snapshot of God is, is good enough uh, to represent him. That's why he doesn't want any images of him. He wants us to have faith in him. Walk by faith and not by sight. Amen. And walk by his word. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. How different you and I are when you and I are quickened by the Holy Ghost. We don't need any of those things to strengthen our faith. By faith. Amen. By faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. Hallelujah. So this is why you and I can't compare him to anything or anyone in likeness. And if somebody tries to use that, that, that excuse, oh, well, I'm not really worshiping him. I'm just worshiping somebody like him. It's just an aid, you know. Uh, it's his likeness. And, and I read this example uh, of, of one person. I read this in one of the books of, of the Ten Commandments, and he quotes Adrian Rogers. Now, I know he's on the radio, uh, but I, I want to read this. This is really good. I, I really, really enjoyed this. Uh, and in this book, it said this, suppose a woman walks into a room and finds her husband embracing another woman. He sees her out of the corner of his eye and says, now, wait a minute, honey. Don't get the wrong idea here. Let me tell you what I was doing. This woman is so beautiful, she reminded me of you. <laughs> and I was just really thinking of you when I was embracing her. Now, you think any woman's going to buy that? Any wife would buy that? God wouldn't. See, that's why God doesn't buy it either. Using an image, using an idol. Oh, God, I, I'm not really worshiping. Just, I'm, it's, it's just like you. Oh, yeah. That wife would be jealous and so is God. That's one of the reasons he said, I, I, don't, I don't like it. <laughs> Hallelujah. And I'm going to get to that in a minute. Praise the name of the Lord. But that's what the second commandment is all about. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. So God gave this commandment for at least three reasons. Number one, first, God prohibits the worship of idols because he's a jealous God. In Hebrew, it's interesting, jealous means to be red in the face. This expression, when God is jealous, is he's red in the face. He means he's hot, mad. Hot in the face, angry against anything or anyone that turns people away from God himself, the one God who's God alone. 
In Exodus 34, verse 13 and 14, I don't think I have that scripture in your notes, by the way. But that's okay. Exodus 34, 13 through 14. But you shall destroy their altars. He's talking about when they go into the land of Canaan. So you shall destroy their altars, break their images, cut down their groves, for thou shalt worship no other god, small g, for the Lord, L-O-R-D capitals, means Jehovah, Jehovah, whose name is Jealous with a capital J, is a jealous God. Jealousy is his middle name. Thank you, Jesus. I'm Jesus Jealous. Hallelujah. In fact, he's not a middle name. It's right in the middle of his name, to be honest with you. In fact, it's the first letter of J, Jesus. It's jealous Jesus. Hallelujah. He is a jealous God. That means he's hot red in the face when you worship somebody or something else other than him. That's the first reason God uh, uh, gave this command. Second reason is because God prohibits the worship of idols because the influence of idolatry that is passed down from the parents to their children. And we read that in verse 5. This influence of idolatry filters down from the parents to the children. It's inevitable. And if a person's worship is false, he leads his children and his grandchildren in a false worship. And what he does greatly influences and affects his family. I'm that's natural. And so the sin of idolatry and the judgment of idolatry are passed down from generation to generation. And ch children are conditioned and heavily influenced by the behavior of their parents and their surroundings. And now you think about the surroundings. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Nurture, the total sum environment that contributes to the growth of an organism. That's the biological term. Fathers, parents, you're responsible for creating such an, 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 uh, an environment in your home and, and in their lives as much as you can in their formative years especially that everything in their environment instructs them, teaches them about God, his nature, his truth because this ungodly world is going to try to pick it out of them word by word. And the truth is, the better your relationship with them, the better your chances that they will walk in your steps. As you follow Christ, they will follow you. But children are conditioned and they're heavily influenced by the behavior of parents and their surroundings. That's what friends matter. Look around and see how many people have gone astray, not just children, but even grown-ups. You know how many preachers backslid and went into false doctrines simply because they kept the wrong friends? I can name them. Friends have an influence on you. And so does our children's friends. Be careful who your children's friends are. If the parents hate and deny God and worship idols, then guess what? The children more likely deny God and hate God also. And they'll worship idols. Now, please note, when, when, when we read in, in verse uh, 5 about God being a jealous God, then he says, I'm a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. It does not mean that God holds 
children guilty for the sins of their parents. That's not really what he's talking about. I'll give you scripture for that in a minute. But what God is saying and what he's talking about is that the results and consequences of sin that take place in that parent's life is going to be passed on to the next generation. And the next generation, because they catch all those false values and false belief concepts, they're going to suffer the same consequences that their parents did. Every person shall bear the judgment and punishment for his own sin. No person will ever be judged for the sins of others. And Deuteronomy 24.16 verifies this. Deuteronomy 24.16, quote, The fathers shall not be put to death for the children, neither shall the children be put to death for the fathers. Every man shall be put to death for his own sin. So two reasons why God, why God gave this command. Amen. First, because he's a jealous God. Second, because uh, he knows that, that people that worship idols, their influence on idolatry is going to be passed down from, their, from the parents to the children. And thirdly, God prohibits the worship of idols because of the influence of loving and, and obedient parent that lasts forever in comparison to those who, who teach their children false worship. In fact, a blessing for a thousand generations. So God prohibits worship of idols. Why? Because if a parent considers their responsibility and, and the destiny of their children and places a high value on it, then they're going to serve God. They're going to love God. They're going to watch their step because they know that their child is watching and following them in their footsteps. And if those, that parent loves God and he worships God, then his children will more than likely do the same. Hallelujah. It's the, 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 the law of, of, uh, of oh, what do you call it? Uh, the law of not portion. It escapes me. Hallelujah. But it is, uh, it is uh, what usually will happen. Hallelujah. The influence of a loving and obedient parent lasts Proportionally speaking, forever, for a thousand years. It doesn't mean that, uh, that uh, they can't mess up. What it says is, just remember, if you're following God and you mess up, what happens? If you're faithful to God, you're going to repent. Under the Old Testament, you're going to take an animal sacrifice for the covering of your sin. Under the New, cover, under the New Testament, you're going to confess your sin, praise the Lord, and God will forgive you, and you're an overcomer, and you go on. And the blessings of God will continue upon you. Why? Because you're a yielded, obedient saint of God. Why? Because you messed up? No, but because you repented and made things right when you did mess up. An idolatrous person will not do that. They will continue to worship their false god and their idol and do the things that, that, that they want to do out of their own rebellious nature. And that, that spirit and attitude is passed on to the children and as a result, in the third or fourth generation, it says only third and fourth generation uh, because eventually that third and fourth generation dies out. Many of those third and fourth generations, they only last that long. If, if a family is heavy into, into witchcraft and, and, and worshiping false gods, you look at their lineage. It doesn't last very long. Pretty soon, that family line dies out. But the family line and lineage of people who serve God, who love God, will go on and on and on because the blessings of God will be upon them. 
So this is another reason why this command is so important. Because one, it judges idolatry, but it also provides for the benefit and blessings of the parents who obey. And if God can get these, these obedient, loving lovers of God, parents, to not make a graven image and not worship any false gods, then God can bless them the way he wants to. And it will last from generation to generation unceasingly. Hallelujah. So the idea here is that the effects of disobedience last only a few generations until the people are cut off altogether, but obedience guarantees life for people even up to a thousand generations. Verse 6, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Not that who fall into sin or violate it. Yeah, but God will forgive you if you worship the true God and come back and do the right thing, like I said, to make things right. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. So we get to the question of, of how people break this commandment. The Old Testament, uh, we find examples, uh, you know, pagans worshiping Baal and Moloch and Chemosh and Ashtaroth. I honestly don't know how, how people, even, even Israelites fell into that. As Solomon built uh, an idol to, to, to Molech. And, and it was, it was a, a, a bull-headed a, a man sitting on the throne, and, and there was fire inside of him, fire inside of him. And parents would come and, and sacrifice their firstborn children to this God. They put them into their hands who are burning hot, and the kids are screaming, and they fall into the fire. And that's why they had these loud trumpets and, and, and musical instruments going blaring loud so nobody could hear the screams of the child. Who in their right mind would do something like that? Oh, we would never do that. No, no, no. We just sacrifice them on the altar of abortion. We allow the doctors to dismember that child piece by piece in the womb. Oh, we don't have any fault. Oh, no, no. Mm. People who worship their own bodies. Paul mentioned this is whose God is their belly. I'll get to that in a minute. Hallelujah. God help us. So in Old Testament examples, we have the pagans, but even Jewish worshiping, uh, Jewish people worshiping the golden calf and the brazen serpent. I mentioned some of these other gods of the Canaanites that even Solomon, God rest his soul, <laughs> fell into. Egyptians. Uh, they were offering worship to gods of, of nature, Ra, the, the sun god, and so on, the 2,000-plus gods in Egypt. And in New Testament times, when we talk about from the time of Jesus all the way to our day in 2022, uh, we, we have this similar type of idolatry that exists today as in the Old Testament. Hindus burn fires uh, before their little statues. Uh, I know, I remember when I was in Vietnam, I mentioned to you how uh, in early in the morning, one of the shopkeepers uh, came and, and put cookies and a little candle, burned, burned a candle and, and laid that little offering of food, of cookies and stuff, out to her God, and she bowed down before it. I wish I could have taken a picture, but I think that really would have been irreverent. And it probably, I don't know, it would probably got me in a lot of hot water watching her on the street, and there's, there's hundreds of people coming and going. She didn't care. She bowed, she, she went on her knees, and she bowed down 
on her knees in front of this little offering to her false god. We have it today. Muslims, well, you know, they're against idolatry, except, you know, when they go to Mecca, they have that black stone in, uh, in, in Saudi Arabia where they go, they have, and, and they touch it. That's, that, you know, the, one of the five pillars of, of Islam, the Hajj. You, have to, you make a, a, a trip to, to Mecca, and, you, have, you know, you go around that thing, and, and you chant your prayers, and you touch that holy rock, that, that, that black stone. It's huge. You might have seen pictures of it. Um, and then, then you have statues of Buddha. It's, it's everywhere. And many restaurants, I've seen it from some of the foreigners. They have a Buddha on the way out. And they have these things you can put on, that rice, whatever you put on his head for good luck uh, and blessing and so on. Mormons, you know, they consider their temples a sacred. I mean, to the point where, you know, they almost deify it. Roman Catholicism still uses imagery in worship and devotion, statues, candles, and so on. And uh, even Eastern Orthodox, uh, which one side of my family had that in their, in, in their, in, in their history, the worship you know, in a, the Eastern Orthodox way. And Eastern Orthodox priests is similar to Catholicism, except they don't have a pope. You have national uh, patriarchs. You have the patriarch of Russia, patriarch of, of Ukraine, patriarch of Greece, and so on. They, they don't believe in, in, in the supremacy of a pope. But they use similar... Uh, uh, Things with their in their worship format, and, and, and also use icons. They have picture of Christ, and on your way out, you know you have to come. Everybody's come and kiss that picture. When you and when you when you're kissing that picture, you're kissing Christ. Amen. That's just one of the examples. Um, and of course, we have even some extreme environmentalists who, you know, are cleaning Mother Earth, and they say that this Earth is our mother. We all came out of this earth. Well, they're right on one way. We did come out of it. We were formed out of dust, and God blew the breath of life in us. But they worship this earth as God. They do, and nature. And, uh, of course, there's the, the practice of uh, the occult, uh, witchcraft, sorcery, divination, all forms of idolatry because they seek and serve a, a spiritual power that is not really from God. They're trying to seek something, a substitute. Hallelujah. Now, for us modern folk, modern Christians, we can break and violate this commandment too, and we do so when we resist the word and the will of God. And that's in your note, by the way. You can break and violate this command when you resist the word and the will of God. King Saul disobeyed Samuel's instructions from God. Concerning the destruction of the Amalekites, you remember? Uh, he exhorted him. And, uh, and he, uh, he said, For rebellion is the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is iniquity and idolatry, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. See that? Resisting the word. He hath also and rejected thee from being king. Rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as is iniquity and idolatry. Amen. Hallelujah. See, resisting the spirit and the direct word of God is a form of idolatry because it, it elevates and establishes our own will to the level of God's will. I mean, that, that, that's how it started with Lucifer in heaven, remember? I will, I will set my throne. 
Amen. Above the Most High. I will sit also on the sides of the congregation of the north. I will ascend. I will go up higher to where God put me. It's the self-will. And when you exert your self-will, when God is trying to deal with you and lead you in the right and good way, you're resisting God. And it's a form of idolatry, believe it or not. That's why Samuel addressed uh, this issue with Saul. Of course, it's for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, the stubbornness. Stubbornness. It's, you're stubborn in doing what you know is right. And God's dealing with you and you, and you keep putting it off and you keep putting it off and, and you keep violating God's command and he can't bless you because you're so stubborn. And that because you have rejected the word of the Lord, resisting the word and the will, he also rejected thee from being king. Don't you know that you and I, when we're born again, we're anointed to be kings and priests? You can lose your kingdom, lose your crown by resisting the will and the word of God because it's a form of idolatry. Amen. And so it's, it's while we're making our self-will uh, supreme over the will of God. Amen. Uh, and so that's one way that we can break this commandment as Christians in the 21st century. And then we can also break this commandment when we become greedy. Greed violates the second commandment. Listen to Colossians 3, verse 5. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, another translation is translated as greed, which is idolatry. See, Paul warns against greed. And that greed, which is this insatiable desire for more, for more, it's a form of idolatry. Greed is what moves us to set up the satisfaction of our desire as our God. We begin to focus our energy and our love on people and things and possessions, things that your heart goes after, things that you desire, things that you want, and you want us so bad that you're, gonna, you, you're not going to consider what the Word of God says. You're not going to uh, consider uh, following His rules and His ways of accomplishing your goals. You're going to do it your way just in the name of success. And by doing so, it is really elevating your love, your energy, your will above the will of God and focusing on things and possessions, people that you desire in your carnal self. And so when we do get it, we, we lavish our love on it and our attention to it, and, 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 uh, and it becomes our God. See, this, this greed is what keeps us in this never-ending cycle of yearning for things, yearning and earning and yearning again. It's the cycle. You yearn for something, and it's a strong, insatiable desire that you want something. And, and so then you do everything in your power to get it. Well, maybe it's not God's will for you to get that. Or maybe it's not the time. And yet you're, you're, you're violating all kinds of rules. You're violating spiritual principles. You're going into debt when you shouldn't be. Because it's not time yet. and not allowing God to bless you. You're not waiting for God to open the door. And so the cycle repeats itself. And, and you're making an, an, an idol out of that, that yearning for that thing. 
And I'm not just talking about material things. I'm just talking about an idea or some state of mind or some state of happiness that you're looking for. And so we see even today that the world is full of temptations uh, to idolatry because it, it offers so many alternatives to God's word as the, as the real basis, basis for living. The world doesn't consider the second commandment. The world doesn't give a hoot about commandment two. They don't care about greed. A lot of the countries, a lot of the companies are built on greed. There's nothing wrong with doing good and nothing, good, nothing wrong with, with having a business whatnot, no. But when you talk about advertising, you know, why, why do companies spend billions and billions of dollars on advertising? And well, you know why? Because it stimulates us to be dissatisfied with what we have. And it stimulates us to, to yearn for more. Something better. That's why you got all these millions of dollars of advertising every year when new cars come out. Hey, you don't, you don't want that old car. You get this new one. It's so much better. It knows so much more. It's so much more comfortable. Hallelujah. They come out with all kinds of new kitchen aids and new kitchen devices, appliances, everything, and they're bombarding you with all of these Images, all of these, these, these commercials to get you to be dissatisfied with what you have. Because the, the car you have might be perfectly all right. And your dishwasher and your wash machine is perfectly fine. But you know what? You want that new one. Mm. You got that deep fryer, the air fryer. Oh, you got to have. Well. Oh, man, I'm walking on a tight rope right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, I'm all for convenience. I am all for convenience. I am not preaching against convenience. I, I'm just making a, 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 how I say, a statement with a word of caution for all of us that we have to be careful because there's this fine, fine line between this this yearning and greed for more than just a plain desire for really something that's more economical, better for us, and, and, and more convenient, and it was something that would really help us in our daily life. Fine. But when you are constantly bombarded and you're constantly yearning, and when you're, worst of all, when you're constantly dissatisfied, you got a problem. You've got an idolatry problem. And uh, so, so th th this is America and, and the Western society, particularly where, where we're wealthier and uh, we're more affluent. Uh, our life is a lot about things. And, uh, and, and we are always encouraged to desire more and, and different than what we already have. And percolator, drip coffee, and then Mr. Coffee, Mr. Coffee 2. And there's courage, and there's, I can go on. But you know what? Think about it. Isn't this exactly what the devil pulled on Adam and Eve? They could have all those trees and fr fruit in the garden, except that one. See, you're missing out. That's the best thing. Well, you don't have anything until you have that. 
And they violated God's command and went for the one thing they couldn't have. And they were not thankful and not mindful of the things that they did have. And here we are, 6,000 years later, and we're still slaving in sin. And we're still exposed to the same kind of temptation. We ha things haven't changed in 6,000 years. At least our heart hasn't. And our nature hasn't, particularly our fallen nature. So, so how, do we, how do we avoid these pitfalls? And I have several suggestions. One, keep your eyes and your heart focused on Jesus. Keep it focused on Christ. Colossians 1.15 says about Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. There's only one image that God ever had, and that was the human body he occupied. In fact, in Hebrews 1, 3, and 4, he's called the express image of God. The express image of God. Amen. And so prayer, worship, Bible study, service to Jesus, it's going to help us stay focused on him. That's why coming to church is important. Reading your Bible is important. Your prayer is important. Your service to God is important. Your witness is important. Why? It all serves one purpose. It's to help you stay on course and keep your focus on Jesus. Hallelujah. Second thing you can do to avoid this pitfall of greed is to be content with what you have. Be content with what you have. Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6 Make sure, and I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible version, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper, not the government, Mm, the government can help. I'm not pleading. I'm not preaching against that. I'm just saying, don't be looking at the government for God. The government is not our Savior. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Hallelujah. And, uh, and so we got to remember, you know, that... Uh, We have to be content, learn to be content with what we have. Hallelujah. Now, notice it says, being content with what you have, for he himself said, I will never desert you, nor will ever forsake you. The Lord is my help, but I will not be afraid. What more men do it? <clears throat> in the, in uh, the story of Elijah, and Brother Adam Heil mentioned it on a Sunday morning, Elijah, when he first came on the scene and he, and he announced that there will be no rain, for three and a half years, that's until his word. He just said, until, at my word. Uh, God told him to go hide himself uh, by the brook Cherith. And, and there, he said, I've commanded the ravens to feed thee. And morning and night, the Bible said that they brought him bread, and he drank water out of the brook. Now, think about that. Uh, the man of God is told, I'm going to sustain you in this drought. All you got to do is go to where I told you to go. And I'm not going to have you live in a mansion. You're not going to be under the tutelage or the care of some rich person. 
You're going to be all by yourself out there. But you're going to have running water even though there's a drought going to come. You're going to have your daily bread. And I'm going to feed you every day, not with all that you want, but everything that you need. And I'm going to show you that if you walk by faith with me, I'm going to provide everything that you need. And day by day, you know what Elijah learned? Hallelujah. It's for his future calling when he, he called the fire down. Or when he raised that young boy from the dead in the next place he had to go, that God commanded him to go. Hallelujah. But, uh, but he, he, he learned the faithfulness of God. Imagine waking up every day. I mean, let's say you arrive the first day there. It's all right. Whew. Where's my food? <laughs> Where's my breakfast? And here comes the raven. And sure enough, he drops a piece of bread or whatever, you know, he found from somebody else. The ravens are notorious for going around, where, you know, stealing stuff from, from, from people's plates and, and kitchens. They are. And, and in Europe and Hungarian folklore, for example, oh, my goodness, we got all kinds of stories about ravens, how they come and, you know, steal food. And, and they do. And so who knows what kind of food and where he got it from. But he brought some food every morning to Elijah. And he drank water out of, the, out of, out of the, the creek. Now, you know, I don't think he got a sirloin steak on any day. But he might have. I don't know. I don't know what kind of baked goods he had. What I'm saying is, is I don't think he was living high on a hog. What I'm saying is God was teaching him Faith, God's faithfulness, and his contentment when he's doing the will of God. He was there because he was there by the will of God, not by his own wishes. When he spoke the word of God and obeyed God, said, I want you to go to this brook. I want you to go to Cherith and stay there, and I will provide for you. And it wasn't everything he wanted. It wasn't a bed of roses, but he lived every day for months and Day after day, as that raven showed up every morning and every night, and then he drank out of, you know, the, out of the brook, God showed him that if he depends on him by faith, he will provide for his every need. And folks, with the difficulties in our days coming up, we have to learn how to be that kind of content as Elijah was. Because if he got depressed and discouraged Right then and there, he never would have finished his, his training. He never would have finished his course as God was training and preparing him for bigger and greater things. And so this scripture, God said, I says, I will never desert you nor ever forsake you. Elijah learned that. The Lord is my help. I will not be afraid. And that's what God's trying to do to many of us many times. Learn to be content where God has placed you. Don't go into debt unnecessarily when you don't have to. It may not, you, don't, you may not have everything you want and all that you want, but, but don't violate God's principles of finances to get what your, 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 your flesh tells you because you see it on television or because you see your neighbor has that. You're not your neighbor. You're, you're your own servant unto God, and, and God has a plan and a will for you. Stay on the, in the crucible of the training program. Okay, I'm getting off the subject. Hallelujah. But it, 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 we have to learn to be content. 
And, and this is the problem with, with Adam and Eve. They, you know, they had all that and they, they blew it because, you know, the devil made them see something else. Hallelujah. Be content with what you have. Um, and, and the antidote to, to greed is contentment. Hallelujah. Now, to avoid the pitfalls, again, I mentioned keep your eyes and your heart focused on Christ and to be content. And so contentment is, the, is really the antidote to greed. And there are three steps to get to a place of contentment. Number one, recognize that all things that we have is from God. God gave us everything. You and I didn't produce it by ourselves without his blessings. You and I would not have acquired it. We never would have had it. And this is true whether you realize it or acknowledge it or not. You got everything by the help of God. You say, well, I worked hard for what I have. I know you did. You worked hard. A lot of you folks work hard. But everything you have is because God blessed it. There's a lot of people in the work in this world today who work hard and they don't have the things that you have. It's not only hard work, it's also the blessings of God and the favor of God. Hallelujah. Stay in, in, in his will, stay in his contentment. Amen. And when you do, more blessings will come. So contentment, step number one, is recognize that everything you have is from God. Number two, practice giving thanks. It's the giving of thanks that sanctifies everything you and I have. It's what purifies the use of whatever we have. This is what Paul is really saying in principle in 1 Timothy 4, 4, and 5. For every creature of God, when it comes to food, you know, you know we're talking about Jewish old ceremonial custom of not eating pork or anything like that. He says, for every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So give thanks. Being grateful and, and showing gratitude for what we have, it, it neutralizes that temptation for more. It neutralizes that pull and that constant yearning for newer things just because they're newer. So you know your heart better than anybody. You know your desires better than me and better than anybody and, and except God. God knows. Hallelujah. So second, practice giving thanks. And third, what you may say, you, you don't have a lot of things to give thanks for. We got to give God thanks for the little things. Count your blessings, name them one by one. How about blinking? Do you ever thank God about blinking? He's coming in the blink of an eye. Imagine, imagine if you couldn't blink. Hmm? This is the last time you thank God. God, thank, thank you for allowing me to blink and clear my eyes. <coughs> thank you, Lord, that I can taste. My taste buds work good. In spite of COVID. Thank God that I can still hear. Even without a hearing aid. Thank God for the little things that we don't, that we just take for granted many times. Hallelujah. Thank God. We got a lot of things to be thankful for. And thirdly, we got to learn to trust God's portion. What's, what do you mean God's portion? It's what he gives you. 
trust God with what he gives you. God knows both ahead of time what you need and how much you need before you ever get it. And we've got to understand that God sets boundaries on our portions. It is God who sets boundaries on our portions. Sometimes it's because we set boundaries on God because of our faith. And other times because of the degree or the lack of yieldedness to God and his will and his word. So there's other boundaries. But God also sets boundaries upon our portion, what we give. Think about it. Even when, when God sent Israel to Canaan, he just didn't let them have all the land they wanted. He appointed them portions of land, and every tribe had their allocated portion. And the Levites who had no land, they had a portion of tithes and offerings, the ministry. Amen. It's portions that God that distributes. The harvest in, in, a, in a Jewish field, it could, all, could not all be harvested 100%. You have to leave the corners, right, for the strangers and the passersby. Somebody from out of town or the poor. So God said, be satisfied and content with the portion that God gave you. Manna. Remember manna? God poured manna down on Israel, many, two and a half million people. He, 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 he kept them every day for, for, for 40 years. But when he first, they first went into the land of Canaan, amen, uh, God provided manna for them. And, uh, and uh, th- that manna, they weren't supposed to collect whatever they needed for that day. And the only time they could collect more than one day's worth was on the day before the Sabbath. And God would give them twice as much. And, so, and, and there were people who went out and tried to get manna more than they were allocated or were supposed to. And you know what? It rotted, and God was mad with them. My point is, God gave them a portion. In fact, the Bible says some people got more. Why? Well, they had more family members. Others got less. Well... Amen. Everybody got their portion. Be content with the portion that God gives you. Be satisfied with God's portion. Now, if God wants to promote you and, and open the doors and you live right and you work hard and you do all the things that you're supposed to do biblically, God will, will promote you and God will bless you as he did Abraham. You will be blessed. You'll have more than what you need. But if you're greedy, the greed moves us to search for and, and acquire more than what we need. And thus we're rejecting God's will in this area of our lives, of, of, of God's portion. And this is why people just can't satisfy themselves with, with having you know, what they have. They just want more and bigger and newer. And that's part of greed. And satisfaction is what we need. And it comes from accepting and doing God's will. Satisfaction comes from accepting and doing God's will. And I mentioned that to you about Elijah and Zarephath. Stand with me, if you will. I want to conclude by encouraging us to obey the second commandment. Let's focus on the Lord and to worship Him in spirit and truth. And let's learn to be content. <clears throat> Here's my closing scripture, Philippians 3, 17 to 21. And this is the New Living Translation. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. The future is eternal destruction. Their God is their appetite 
King James says their God is their belly. Their God is their appetite. Catch that? It's greed. They brag about shameful things, and all they think about in this life is this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take these weak mortal bodies of ours and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same mighty power that he will use to conquer everything everywhere. The same glorious power that he filled us with on the, on, when we received the Holy Ghost, that power to change our lives and we continue being changed in his image from glory to glory is the same power that he's going to use to bring into submission every earthly, worldly potentate and power and authority until the day comes that he is indeed supreme. And we'll no, be no longer governments, political parties, presidents, kings, or any other monarchs. It will be only him. And that's what commandment two is all about. One and two. It's only God, no other. And number two, don't make any graven image or any likeness of him that you would use as an aid to worshiping him. We need to worship him in spirit and in truth. And he will never leave us, never forsake us. This commandment is still relevant for us today. Would you raise your hand and just worship God for a moment? Jesus, we thank you. We praise you. We magnify your name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for being our God, Lord Jehovah, our deliverer, a God that is more than enough. 